0: appreciated the sermonette today by Mr. Simone. Very helpful information. and made me chuckle, though, as well, because he's talking about breaking bread together and eating together, and I'm going to talk about the reverse of that. <clears throat> Maybe I'm going to talk about a way to really make it easy when we get together, and that's to fast. And then you don't have to prepare any food. You know, Mr. League used to invite everybody to lunch on the Day of Atonement, and he said it was on him. <clears throat> but I do want to talk about fasting today, brethren, a powerful tool that you are aware of, a powerful tool that I think many of you use, uh, a tool that we all probably can stand to benefit from learning how to use even more effectively few questions as we begin this afternoon. Why is fasting such a critical tool for God's people? Why is it so critical for God's people? What are some keys to know, some things to remember with regard to fasting? What can you do to make your fasts even more effective? And do you need to be baptized to fast? <clears throat> Today what I'd like to do is to review several important aspects of this powerful spiritual tool of fasting, why God gave it to us, and how he expects us to use it. I also want to encourage you to continue to use this tool, or begin to use this tool even more regularly. If you're looking for a title for the sermon today, I've entitled it, God's People Must Fast. God's people must fast. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 is not necessarily where we go to start a sermon on fasting, but I'd like to point something out here from the Apostle Paul. Paul talks about how God wants to be able to use us. And here in Romans, he is giving us some direction in that regard. Romans chapter 6 And verse 12 is where we'll start. Romans 6.12 Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And certainly that's something we don't want to do, obviously. We don't want to sin anymore. We don't want to allow sin to reign in our body. We want Christ to reign in our body. And then he goes on with this concept. He says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That word in the Greek uh, for instruments means weapon, and more specifically it means offensive weapon. We want to present ourselves to God as a tool in His hands, as an offensive weapon of righteousness that He can use to do His will, don't we? He's called us to be His ambassadors, to work on His behalf. He wants to use us. And so it's with that perspective that I want to go in to talk about fasting today. Brethren, as we live immersed in the ways of the world that is ru- ruled by Satan and the devil... We need God's constant help to remain unspotted, to remain separate, to remain without sin, as Paul talked about. And we need to work hard and do certain things so that God can really use us as his instruments and so that Satan won't be able to use us as his instruments of unrighteousness. Psalm chapter 73, or Psalm 73, if you'd turn to Psalm 73 with me. There are no chapters in the book of Psalms. They're just Psalms. Psalm 73. And let's read together verses 27 and 28. Psalm 73, verses 27 and 28. For indeed, the psalmist writes, Those who are afar off from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me, he says, To draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. He wanted to draw near to God, Asaph writing here. He desired to do that and fasting as we'll talk about and we'll see and we'll be reminded is a tool to do that. To draw near to God, to erase the distance between us and God. Psalm eighteen. Psalm eighteen, David writing here, reminds us of where our strength comes from. And we look around the world, and much of the world looks up to strong people, doesn't it? It looks up to people who can stand on their own two feet. Yet what did David have to say about strength? What did David have to say about the source of of strength and the source of his strength. Psalm 18. And verse 1, he says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Powerful reminder from David that our strength comes from the lord he is the one who gives us the strength and the perspective and the protection when we stay humble and fasting is a tool to humble us in great part we're reminded of that fact that our strength is not in us individually our strength comes from god and it's when we're close to him as paul said in i think second corinthians 12 when we're weak close to god then we're made strong. And it was Paul actually who made the comment as well, I can do all things through whom? Through Christ who gives us strength, who strengthens us. Without a close relationship with God, we cannot please God, as I think we all know. We may not successfully hold on to God's truth if we're not close to him. And if we don't hold on to his truth, we can't be the first fruits that he's called us to be. Ultimately, regular and effective fasting combined with prayer is one of the primary tools of a deeply converted Christian and of a godly leader. So, let's review together briefly, I think, some concepts that you, you, most of you know, you're, you're familiar with. But let's review it so that we're on the same page as we go forward. What is fasting? What does it mean to fast? You know, in this world today, fasting takes on all kinds of different meanings. Muslims. Fast for a month during the time of Ramadan. A whole month. But they fast only when? During the daylight hours. And then they feast in the evening. It's different than the fast that we're talking about. Some people do juice fasts, some people fast and drink just water. But when we're talking about spiritual fasts, what are we talking about? Let's look at a couple of things here Leviticus chapter 23. A familiar scripture as we move into the fall holy days here, fall holy days here in the northern hemisphere, and as Jerusalem is sort of the vantage point for, for calling the seasons, Leviticus chapter 23, as we move into the fall holy days, we think about preparing spiritually for these fall holy days, obviously in Certainly, fasting is a tool we should use to help us spiritually prepare. But let's read about the holy day on which God commands us to fast. Leviticus 23, verse 26 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying also, On the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation, this commanded assembly or rehearsal for you. You shall afflict your souls... And the word afflict here is important. In in the Hebrew, it is A-M-A-H, anah. It means to chasten, to humble, to loose, or to weaken. To chasten our souls, to humble our souls. Our our flesh is the word soul here. To chasten our soul, to weaken our soul. He says we're to do this um, on this day of atonement. And offer an offering made by fire to the Lord and you shall do no work on that same day for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that day shall be cut off from my people. Give us an idea of how important it is to God and was to God that his people come before him unified together in fasting. <clears throat> and we'll, we'll clarify in a minute why that word means fasting and how it does. In fact, let's turn to um, Psalm 35. A little definition here. This, this concept of afflicting one's soul does not mean inflicting harm on one's soul, on one's body. <clears throat> Psalm 35, verse 13. Psalm 35, 13, David explains here. He says, but as for me... When they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself. The word humbled here is the same word we read a minute ago. Ana, to humble. He humbled himself how? With fasting. And my prayer would return to my own heart, he says. Let's look at another uh, Psalm 109. A little bit more of this definition. Helping us understand that this concept of fasting or afflicting one's soul really is fasting, and it's fasting without food and water, is what it's being talked about here. Psalm 109, verse 24. Psalm 109 24, David writes here He says, My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh is feeble feeble from lack of fatness. Anybody here ever fasted and had their knees weak? With fasting, it'll it'll be about six weeks, and we'll be fasting together on the Day of Atonement. And I, I encourage you, if you remember this in six weeks, watch. Watch the fellowship after services today. People are going to get up, and they're going to be walking around. They're going to be talking to each other and standing up. Watch how people fellowship after services on the Day of Atonement. Watch how many people are sitting in their seats as their blood sugar drops, our blood sugar drops, and we become weak in the knees from fasting. We, we understand that concept when we fast. As our blood sugar drops, our energy levels drop. <clears throat> David was expressing that. My knees are weak with fasting. Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. Short little book, uh, but here we have this woman of faith, who fasted. Fasted for three days and three nights. How did she fast? This wasn't a juice fast or a water fast or a fast in the day and feast at night kind of fast. Um, Esther chapter 4 and verse 16. Esther four sixteen. She said, um, well, verse 15, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present at Shushan, and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will also fast likewise. And then she talks about how she was planning on going into the king. And she said, uh, And so I will go to the king, which, it, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You see the faith of this woman. But fasting before God for three days and three nights. How? Without food and without water. And that's, that's really God's command on the Day of Atonement, that we fast without food and without water. When we fast for spiritual purposes, that's how we fast. Typically, without food and without water. <clears throat> Typically, a spiritual fast involves 24 hours uh, without food and water. God's fasts are from sunset one day to sunset The next day, although we do see people in the Bible fasting for longer than 24 hours. Esther, three days and three nights. Paul fasted for three days when he was struck down with blindness. We know about Moses and Christ fasted for longer than three days, didn't they? Uh, We'll talk about the 40 days and 40 nights probably later in the sermon. A couple questions for you, though, about fasting. Will merely going without food and water for a day result in an effective fasting experience? and draw us closer to God. Is it just going without food and without water and making ourselves hungry that's the benefit? We can ask ourselves as we fast personally and individually, why do we fast? Why do I fast? When I choose to fast? Do we fast in order to reach a certain number of fasting experiences every year? Mr. De Simone talked about setting goals with inviting people over. Excellent example. Um, but when we fast, do we fast? I've got to get in my t- 10 times this year or 12 times this year or 20 times this year or 24 times this year or however many. Is that the main goal? Obviously, that probably shouldn't be. Do we fast aside from the Day of Atonement and perhaps one church-wide fast every year? Do we fast beyond those uh, really commanded kind of fasts? The, the Day of Atonement is a God-commanded fast. And then the church fast most years is really encouraged by the church. What do we plan to gain or learn from our fasts? And do we regularly plan our fasts? We're going to get into this in the remainder of the sermon. But before I give you some keys to fasting, what I'd like to do is briefly review four reasons for fasting. What are four big reasons? I'm not going to delve into these in detail. You can actually pull background scriptures out and support each of these if you want to do some more Bible study on it. But four primary reasons for fasting, what might they be? One primary reason we fast is that God wants us to use the tool of fasting. God wants us to fast. That should be a primary reason that we do it. God says, do it. He wants us to do it. Not only does he command it on the day of atonement, you remember when the Pharisees accused Christ and the disciples, they say, hey, come on, you guys don't fast. We fast all the time. We fast weekly. Why don't you fast? And Christ said, they will. After I leave. It's a tool that God has given us. God gave us this tool of fasting not to be placed in a storage closet, but to be used as a tool regularly. Tools are only useful when we use them, aren't they? If I've got a shovel, if I've got a rake, if I've got a food processor, if I've got a lawnmower, it can take up space in a closet. But it does no good if I don't use it. And fasting as one of those four primary spiritual tools, prayer, study, meditation, and fasting, is only as good as when we use it. So why do we fast? One reason is God wants us to. Number two, fasting helps us stay humble. A primary reason for fasting, it helps us stay humble. Most of you may be different than me. But I need to be reminded on a regular basis that God is the most important being in the universe and that I'm nothing. I need to be reminded that I need to be humble before God. And many of us do, most of us do, especially if we have that thing in us called human nature that doesn't want to be second or third or at the bottom. We need to be reminded that God, Christ, is our Savior and our Lord and our Master, things that those of us who are baptized committed to at baptism. Didn't we commit to that at baptism? Christ is our Lord and our Master and our High Priest and our coming King and our Savior. Fasting helps us remember that, that He is our Lord and Master. So, uh, a second reason for fasting is it helps us stay humble. It's a tool to help us stay humble, to put off vanity, to put off self-centeredness, and those types of things. Number three, what's another reason for fasting? Without regular fasting we won't be in a proper state of mind for God to use us. This relates to humility. Without regular fasting, we will not be in a proper state of mind for God to use us. We see this example uh, when God or when um, the disciples couldn't cast out the demons. You remember that situation in Matthew chapter seventeen, verse twenty one. The disciples came back from their their preaching, from their journey, and they said, Christ, we can't cast the demons out of this man, depending on which uh, episode of it you read in the gospel accounts. And Christ said, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Fasting is a powerful tool to be used as an instrument by God. And number four, what's another major reason for fasting? Fasting reconnects us with God. It reconnects us with God in a way that no other action can or will. Without regular fasting, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to have a truly close relationship with God and Jesus Christ. I'd like to read to you from a web commentary that many of you may not have read, unless you've been on the web searching and reading the commentaries regularly. This is a web commentary by Dr. Meredith. That was posted February 16, 2017. So just a few months ago while he was at home in bed sick and dying. Uh, it's It's a very powerful commentary to me in that regard. Knowing the state that he was in, the state of physical health, but also his mental state and his spiritual focus. He said, we Christians are not to punish ourselves. Thinking that this fast will force God to hear our prayers God is not interested in penance. That's just as if you or I would take whips and beat each other's back saying look at our suffering. God will hear us. He continues. The idea behind our fasting is quite different from that. We should seek the invisible God. We fast to humble ourselves, to make ourselves realize how weak we are and that we are little children saying in effect Father, we're up against a great army and there are great forces around us we don't always know what we should do and we need your help we need guidance and we need deliverance please help us draw near to you that's the end of his comment hopefully that's helpful powerful reminder on how to come to God and approach him asking him to help us draw near to him <clears throat> In the remainder of the sermon, what I'd like to do is give you several keys to effective fasting. And I think for many of you, this is going to be a reminder, hopefully encouragement. For some of you, this may be new. It may be helpful. Um, But we'll talk about several keys to effective fasting, things that we can do to make our fasts more useful, more spiritually effective, and to be able to draw more out of the experience as God would have us The first key to effective fasting is to, in fact, I would ask you actually to think. What would be tips that you would give to someone about keys for effective fasting? If someone came up to you, a new person, um, came from a a faith or a non-faith where fasting wasn't part of what they do, and they go to you, you know, I hear that you people fast. Uh, You go without food and water for a period. How do you do that well? What kind of advice would you give them? What are some of the tips that you would give them? That's what we're going to talk about in the remainder of the sermon. Tip number one, uh, key number one to effective fasting is to plan your fast. Plan it. We just heard a sermonette that talked about and admonished us to plan to invite people over to our homes and eat together. Plan it. Mr. DeSimone said, put it on your calendar. And I would say with, with fasting, one of the lessons that I've learned over years of fasting is If I don't plan the fast, it's not going to be effective. In fact, if I don't plan the fast, it probably won't happen. How many of us have had the experience of saying, you know, it's been a while since I fasted. I need to fast again. I'll probably try and do that in the next month or so. And two and a half months later, we look at the calendar and we look back and we realize, I haven't fasted. Boy, I really need to fast. I need to do that in the next couple of weeks. It's been too long month later, we still haven't fasted. It's just the way life works. The reality is there's a God of this world who also is aware of the fact that we want to fast. And he knows the, the spiritual benefits to us if we fast. And so he's going to try and keep our lives busy and unorganized and put pitfalls in our way. So hopefully we're too busy to fast. Planning our fast is critical. Fasting should be a regular part of our spiritual life. A regular part. You know, we talk about praying daily. We've got to pray daily. In fact, three times a day is the example that we see in the Scripture. We talk about studying our Bible, studying the Word of God daily. We talk about meditating regularly and hopefully daily with our prayer and study. And then fasting, how often does that happen? We need to fast regularly regularly. And we've been admonished over the years, you know, every four to six weeks, I've heard four to eight weeks by some ministry, but we need to make it a regular part of our spiritual life. Otherwise, it's one of those tools that sits in the closet and it doesn't get used. So planning is important. Um, What's interesting as we think about it, God plans his fasts, doesn't he? Doesn't God plan fasts? When is God's next planned fast? It's in about six weeks. On the Hebrew calendars, on the 10th day of the 7th month. In fact, I've got a calendar, we have a calendar at home, a magnet on our refrigerator, many of you have the same thing, that lists out God's planned fast until 2023, the year 2023. And we can take it on beyond that. I've actually got a book on my shelf in my office that lists the day of atonement out For the next 500 years or so. God plans his fasts. Why? So they're not missed. So that they happen. So that we know. So that we can prepare for them. And we do that don't we? We prepare for the fall holy days. As the feast of trumpets rolls around. And we celebrate the feast of trumpets. We know nine days later. We will be fasting. So we are prepared in that way. For our personal fasts, we need to plan our fasts as well. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. I'm not going to turn there. You can write it down. Proverbs four twenty-six, 26. Scripture that we've read many times and many of us know says, ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. A wise person ponders the path of their feet. They think ahead. They plan the direction that they will head. And with fasting, that's the case too. We need to ponder that time. Mark it on the calendar. And I encourage you to do that. Mark it on the calendar. Block that day. Protect that time. Or it will be consumed by something else. And sometimes we have to turn down other opportunities if we're planning to fast. Because that's what's important. Staying close to God. Especially if we can't adjust that fast by a day or two. <clears throat> mark your calendar if you're married inform your spouse what you're going to do don't just not show up to dinner gentlemen if and your wife's prepared she's planned this dinner maybe it's even a special occasion that she's planned she's going to make it special for you and you show up and you say oh i'm not going to eat tonight why because well, i'm fasting i'm fasting Isn't that good? Isn't that a spiritually good thing? Well, yeah, I'm I'm glad you're fasting, sweetheart. I've just spent three hours preparing. When I was living at home, it's probably a late teenager when I started working on developing the habit of fasting. I remember my father telling me, we want you to fast. It's a good thing when you choose to do that, but let your mom know ahead of time so that she can plan, so that we can be aware, so that... We don't just think you're rude because you were called to dinner and you didn't show up. It's not that we have to advertise to everyone, but at the same time, it is a a way of letting those who are close to us understand what we're trying to do. And I know when I plan to fast, my wife usually fasts with me. Uh, Part of letting her know is we we do that together. But planning is really important If if we're going to make a fast happen, we need to plan it, especially in Satan's busy, busy world. Okay, what's another effective key to fasting? Another effective key to fasting is fast with a purpose. Fast with a purpose, or a purpose is. When I was young, um, I received some education in fasting. I sort of learned from listening and watching and it took me a little while to realize that I shouldn't just start a fast and then f- try and figure out, okay, what do I want to study? What do I want to think about? No, we want to fast f- for specific reasons and have those reasons in mind and think about them ahead of time. We can look at biblical examples as well as ex- personal experience and show that effective fasts have a clear purpose or clear purpose is The Day of Atonement. God's commanded fast every year has a purpose, doesn't it? We're to fast to draw near to God. And actually Isaiah talks about to loose the bonds of wickedness, to cast them off. We see other fasts by individuals that were very purposeful. So to have a purpose or several purposes when we fast as a congregation, a worldwide congregation, usually our leadership tells us, please be praying about These three or four things as you fast, study about these three or four things as you fast so that there are direct purposes involved. We don't want to just start a fast and then sit down and, uh, let's see, I'm going to flip through the Bible and see where the Spirit leads me. Okay, the index, that's not going to work. Um, We need to be thinking ahead and, and trying to plan ahead for those things. We want to establish and meditate on this purpose even before we fast. To get our mind thinking in that direction spiritually. So once we begin our fast, we're already going in that spiritual direction, thinking in that direction. Let's look at a couple examples of purposeful fasts. 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12. We see David's example here. To me, this is a powerful example. And if we take a little bit of time to meditate on it, we can actually read between the lines and we realize there's probably more purpose here than is specifically stated. And that's where some some of the benefits of meditation come in. Uh, Meditation focusing, prayerfully focusing on what God has to say in his word, applying it to us, but asking God to help us see and understand what he's trying to teach us. 2 Samuel 12 In 2 Samuel 12, we see David's firstborn son with Bathsheba dying and die. We see Nathan warning him and saying, listen, you're going to have to pay the consequences for the sin that you have committed. And then we see the aftermath of the death of David's firstborn son with Bathsheba. Let's actually break in together about verse 15. Nathan let David know what would happen. Your son is going to die. Verse 15, Nathan departed from departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. David fasted, and he went in and he laid all night on the ground. So he's crying out to God. Does he have a purpose in his fast? In this particular case, yes. Verse 17, so the elders of his house arose and they went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not. Nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. It appears that David's been fasting for seven days here. Not bathing, as we'll see in a minute. Focused on God. The question comes, though, was the only purpose of his fast... Begging God not to kill his son. Let's read about this. Let's think about it. And I think we'll begin to see. Wait a second. There's a little bit more here. In the the purpose of his fast. Then on the seventh day it came to pass the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said indeed while the child was alive we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell That the child is dead, he may do some harm. They were worried David might even commit suicide here, end his own life. Look at how distraught he was while the child was alive. And if we tell him he's dead, what's David going to do? So his, his advisors are worried here. Now let's continue. Verse 19 When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And begrudgingly, obviously, they uh, said, he is dead. Verse 20, what did David do? And this is what gives us some more insight into David's fast and his purpose and probably some of the ways he was praying. David arose from the ground. He didn't tear his clothes. He didn't scream out. He didn't run around in circles. He didn't throw himself off the balcony. He didn't stab himself. What did he do? He anointed himself. He washed. He anointed himself. So he cleaned himself up. He changed his clothes. He he went into the house of God and he worshipped. God just let his son die. Yet, how was it that David was able to get up? Clean himself up first before he presented himself to God. Go into the house of God and worship God. Show adoration to God. Show thankfulness to God. After his son died, how could David do that? He then went into his own house. He re- when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And a servant said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and you wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David was sort of matter of fact there. How did David get from that point where he's crying out to God? He's not eating. He's face down before God, praying to him to this point where he gets up. The first thing he does is he goes and worships this God, and then he goes on with life. Can you think of maybe another purpose that David had in his fast that the Bible doesn't tell us about, but that we see the, the results of? Do you think maybe one of the things David was praying about and focusing on was trying to come to God's perspective? David is a man after God's own heart. Do you think David as a man after God's own heart prayed like another man later on after God's own heart who said, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. But your will be done. Do you think David intently perhaps prayed that for several of those days as well? Meditated on those issues? Meditated on the fact that God was his hope. He was his strength. He was his high tower. He was his horn. He was his salvation. God is God. And he's on his throne and he's in control. And that's what we see from David at the end of this. David understood that. And he was at peace. David had some purposes in that fast, didn't he? Yes, one purpose was, God, please, save my son if at all possible. But apparently there were some other purposes in that fast as well. And we see the repercussions of that in David's response at the end. Let's look at another example of a man who fasted and had some purposes. And and there are Multiple of these throughout the scripture. So we're going to pick one out, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, a, a scripture you've read many times before. <clears throat> Here we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the flesh, as a human being, getting ready to start his earthly ministry. Then how did he start it? Matthew chapter 4, let's break into Let's start in verse 1 here. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Christ knew what He was up against. Christ could not fail in His own mind and in the plan of God. He must not fail. Christ had to make sure there was no daylight between He and the Father. They were as close as possible. Christ had to make sure that as a human being, in flesh he was supremely humble and he knew who the power was and so what did he do verse 2 when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward he was hungry one of the biggest understatements in the bible i think boy i'm i'm pretty hungry after 24 hours or 36 hours but 40 days I think he was really thirsty too. That's, that's the worst for me of the fast. Forget the food when I'm done. I need water. <clears throat> but when he had fasted, he was hungry. Verse 3, now when the tempter came to him, he said... <laughs> and look at the audacity in the question. Here is the created saying to the creator, If you are the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And when we look down at these different temptations that Satan threw at him, how is he attacking Jesus Christ? What in Christ was he attacking? He's attacking Christ's godness, his Godhood. The fact that he was the creator. And Satan's playing that. He's playing to what could be pride. Any nuance, any iota of pride that Jesus Christ would have had as a human being. Satan is playing to that. That's what these temptations are all about. If you're God, throw yourself down from the top of the temple. If if there's angels out there, they'll save you. If you're God, turn these stones into bread. I dare you. And boy, as a human, how would you react? How would you want to react? And then Satan has the audacity to quote the very scripture that Jesus Christ inspired to be written. But Christ had the humility and the focus and the big mindedness on the plan of God that was more important than this interaction. The fact that he had to take this from the created being in front of him. It mattered more that he stay humble, that he stay focused. Satan threw at him, you can be over all of this now. You don't have to. Satan Satan knew what was coming. Satan quoted scripture. He knew the prophecies. He knew Christ had to suffer and die. The unconverted Pharisees knew that. And so what was Satan offering him? You don't have to go through this. I'll give it to you now. You can rule over everything you see now. Christ had to have that perspective. That God minded perspective and as a human being he had to seek God he was willing to take 40 days of fasting to do it which by the way is physically impossible physically impossible human beings cannot last without water healthy human beings cannot last without water in food for about two weeks after two weeks the body the central nervous system shuts down the heart will not beat anymore the lungs will not breathe anymore this was miraculous God had to make this happen. So don't go trying to fast for 40 days. It may be the last effort you put in. Noble. Uh, but what God shows us in the scripture, too, is that it doesn't, we don't have to fast for 40 days to derive powerful spiritual benefits from fasting. <clears throat> Two examples of purposeful fasts, and there are more in the scripture. Fasting, brethren, can be used. To seek God's will in a particular matter, it can be used to humbly approach God and ask him for mercy, but it should never be used to try and get our own way and pressure God into responding as we fast with a purpose. Let me read to you from Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong's autobiography, uh, volume one, page 392. One of the things I love about Mr. Armstrong is how wonderful a teacher he was and how concrete usable his examples were and here's a comment he makes about fasting he says I was fasting and praying not for the purpose of bringing pressure on God to force him to obey my will and give what I asked but to find out what was wrong with me I realized we do not need to nag God never fast as a means of inducing God to answer because we Think about fasting with a purpose. Yeah, We we don't want to induce God to answer. We don't want to force God's hand. Try and force God's hand. We can't do that. We we need to come humbly before him. We need to approach him to see his perspective. We, We can ask humbly. As I'm sure David did when he was on his stomach. And we see David's humility through the psalms that he writes. He always recognized God as supreme. It's not wrong to ask God for things in fasting. But... Oftentimes the fast can be more valuable and will be more valuable if we approach him to seek his will. I remember a number of years ago, I was traveling serving God's people in the Caribbean. And I got a frantic email from an individual in another part of the world, actually. This person's minister was out of the country and they couldn't get in contact with him. And I had known this person fairly well. And they were going through a trial that was Causing their felt like causing their world to crumble around them. And they shared some of the trial with me, and they said, what can I do? And I just encouraged the person, in the next day or two, stop, drop everything, and fast. It's one of the things I've learned in my own life. If my world turns upside down, and I don't know why, and I feel out of control, I feel really upset about something, Um, something comes crashing down, I've learned that if I can just stop, I can fast as quickly as possible. Start a fast. Praying to God and crying out, God, help me see your will. Help me see your perspective. Forgive me. Help me see what I'm missing in my life and what I need to change. And what I encourage this person to do is don't focus on the trial. It's okay to pray a little bit about it, but focus on you and your relationship with God focus on you and your perspective and ask God to put his mind in you and his heart in you to see not only this situation but all things from his perspective you're going to wind up with a lot more peace through your trial and i've found that in my personal life when i do that it doesn't take the, till the end of the fast for god's peace to settle in and his perspective to settle in it starts very very quickly And I think I'm seeing heads nod out there in the audience. You found that too. Coming before God and laying ourselves before him as opposed to trying to pressure him really makes a difference. Let's talk about another helpful key to effective fasting. Another helpful key to effective fasting. So far we've talked about planning our fast. Scheduling it, we've talked about fasting with a purpose or purposes. A third effective key, and this might go without saying, but sometimes it needs to be said, uh, we need to give our full attention to our fast. Give our full attention to our fast. Early on when I started trying to fast regularly, I wanted to get the fasting experiences in and I would begin to schedule it every uh, five or six weeks or four weeks or whatever it was. But I would fast sometimes on a school day, whether it was high school or college. And I'd, I'd start the fast the previous evening, and I'd pray, and I'd do a little bit of study, but then I'd have homework to do, and I'd go to, go to classes, and then I'd go to work, and I'd try and work in some, a little bit of prayer in the middle of the day. But I realized after just a couple of those fasts, when I was done, I was just hungry and I really didn't accomplish much because my mind was focused on too many other things. Effective fasts require focus. Focus on the fast. Focus on the purpose or purposes. Clearing the schedule on that day. Not committing to too many things. We need to pick a day to fast when the majority of time can be focused on the purpose of the fast and it won't be interrupted. Again, a reason why we want to plan. And again, that's what God does on the Day of Atonement, doesn't he? He actually forces us to focus on the fast on the Day of Atonement. He tells us, he commands us, don't work. Don't do any work. Don't do any of these servile things. Don't even waste your time preparing and eating food. And it takes a lot of time to prepare and eat, doesn't it? It always, every time I fast, it strikes me how much time I save. When, when I don't have to sit down and eat, and I don't have to sit down and help prepare or clean up after eating. It actually gives you back a couple of hours in the day. Not that I want to do that every day. I sort of enjoy the eating process. But uh, by focusing on the day, it's important. Is it okay to fast on a weekly Sabbath? You know, I've heard ministers in a long time in years past say, Oh, no, that's not, a, that's not appropriate to fast on the Sabbath. Why not? Now, we don't necessarily want to make every Sabbath a fast day um, or fast all the time on the Sabbath, but the Sabbath can be a very helpful and effective day to fast. Why? Why? Number one, you're not working. You're commanded not to work. For people in an average church congregation where you're not traveling all over the place every Sabbath, we come to services. We get there half hour, 45 minutes, an hour ahead of time. We fellowship. We fellowship. We're being fed spiritually. we fellowship for an hour afterwards. we go home. We can have all morning in this congregation. We have afternoon services. You get all morning. you don't sleep the morning away. Uh, get up early, focus, sh- shower. Um, I like to brush my teeth. That clean mouth helps me focus better. I just don't swallow. <clears throat> but I shave, I, I get ready, and boy, that's really good private prayer time and study time and meditation time for several hours on the Sabbath, a day that God's already said, quit and focus on me. And then you can do that again in the afternoon. Probably not best to focus or to fast on a Sabbath when you've got a big activity that evening or a big covered dish meal. You don't want to be the one who's sitting out in the other room while everybody's eating food. Uh, Next Sabbath, we're supposed to be in Bluefield, West Virginia for the Sabbath six hours in the car, and then services, and then snacks after services, not a good day to fast. Uh, be, number one, because driving in the car, for me, although I can listen to a sermon, there's a lot of distractions. It's, I'm not focusing on God. I can not get down on my knees in the car and pray. I can pray, but it's interrupted prayer. Um, can't have lots of time to study in the car, even if my wife drives for half of it. Uh, I'm not going to not eat when I'm visiting an, a, a church area. People think, what's wrong with our food? <clears throat> so we have to be wise in choosing. Uh, but fasting occasionally on the Sabbath, there's probably there's no biblical reason that we can't do that. In fact, it can be a, a good day for some of us. And, in an area where um, there seems like there's something going on every weekend here in Charlotte, and all your Sundays are chewed up, it's hard to find time to fast. And so we have to to, to break out that time to look for it. <clears throat> As you take extra time, or excuse me, thinking about this, give your full attention to the fast. Isaiah 58. Let's flip there briefly. Isaiah chapter 58. And let's start reading in verse 3, Isaiah 58, 3. Isaiah is chiding, he's correcting the Israelites for doing things their way, for worshiping their way, for trying to worship God in the way they choose to worship him instead of worshiping God the way he's asked them to worship him. He says, um, and he's, he's sort of parroting them, he says, Why have we fasted, they say? And you've not seen. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? So they're crying out to God. God, we're doing this. We're fasting before you. Why aren't you paying attention? It automatically gives us the idea. Maybe their focus in their fast isn't correct. Maybe their purpose wasn't quite correct. They're fasting to get something from God, it looks like. Verse 4. Indeed, God says, you fast for strife and debate. I've run into people over the years who've done that. You probably have too. They have an angle on something spiritual, and they're going to fast so God can back them up. Uh, We don't want to fall into that trap that Satan will try and set for us. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, to strike with the fist of wickedness. You You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high, God says. That's not why you do it, and we've already talked about that. Verse 5, he asks the question then, is this a fast that I have chosen? A day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? An acceptable day to the Lord? So God's asking the question, what's the motivation? What's the purpose? Let's continue in verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, God says? And this is where he outlines, this is the way that I would like you to fast. This is the focus. This is the attention. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To sever wickedness from us. How do we do that? We've got to come out of the world to do that. We've got to change. We've got to repent. Those types of things. To undo the heavy burdens. And sin is a burden. Sin is a weight that we're told in Scripture that can ensnare us. To let the oppressed go free. Whether that oppressed person is us, oppressed by Satan's world, or or fasting and praying on behalf of others. For God to help loose that bond of wickedness. And that you may break every yoke. So God gives us a little bit more of a focus here. And helps us uh, direct our attention in a fast, in a godly direction. Okay, fourth key. and We might get to number five, I'm not sure. Fourth key to successful fasting is to concentrate, concentrate your prayer, your meditation, and your Bible study on your purpose. Concentrate prayer, meditation, and Bible study. Focus it on that purpose or those couple purposes for your fast. If I'm fasting, one of the purposes for my fasting is about humility. I don't want to take a whole lot of time reading in the Song of Solomon on the day that I'm fasting. Yeah, I could stretch some things that relate to humility, but it's not really a book aimed at humility. I might, however, want to read Psalm 51 that day. David's psalm of repentance, we sing it. In thy loving kindness, Lord, be merciful to me. In compassion, blot out my sins. Cast them away from me. Wash me thoroughly. I might want to pray about that. I might want to meditate on that. Mr. Armstrong, years ago, gave a, uh, a bit of a model for prayer, study, and meditation when we fast. He talked about praying for an hour, studying for an hour. And meditating for an hour. Um, That is definitely a tool. That doesn't quite work for me personally. I can't study without meditating. If I'm studying scripture. I'm thinking about it. I'm applying it to my life. I'm actually praying at the same time. God help me understand this. How does this fit? So a lot of my prayer and study. And meditating works itself into one big. Experience altogether. Although I do try and separately take time on my knees to pray specifically as well. <clears throat> but as you take time for extra prayer, meditation, and Bible study, work to make sure you're not doing it on random topics. Focus those topics in the same area. That way we get some deep understanding and deep focus. Second Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20. We're going to break into an example here of a focused fast with prayer that was focusing on the purpose of the fast. Second Chronicles 20. Here we have the example of King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Um, you've got the armies of the Ammonites and the Moabites coming in, and Judah knew they were going to be wiped out unless God was involved. Second Chronicles 20. And let's start reading in one, verse 1 here. It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them besides, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And when some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Engedi, and Jehoshaphat feared. And he set himself to do what? To pressure God? No, to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. It's it's not uh, unbiblical for God's leadership to proclaim a fast from time to time. We see a king doing that here. Asking God's people in a focused, unified way to come before God and humble themselves. And so that's what he did. He set a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Let's skip down. We begin to see their prayer here about verse 12. They're fasting, why? To draw close to God, we see Jehoshaphat doing. To humble themselves, and then they make their request known. Verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Our eyes are upon you. Boy, there was not a pompous attitude here, was there? God, we are nothing. We are powerless. You are God. We're focusing on you. We want you to lead. We need you. To lead and to protect is essentially what they're saying. Our eyes are on you. Now all of Judah, verse 13, with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. It appears that maybe even the the children were fasting at this point. This is life and death. And they took time to stop. To humble themselves before the great God. To focus the fast, to focus the prayer, on asking God to be God, to be their God, to protect them and to free them. Powerful prayer and a powerful focus. So point number four to effective fasting, concentrate your prayer, meditation, and Bible study on your purpose or on your purposes. Final point, final key. Uh, This one's less scriptural but more practical. Final key to effective fasting is don't forget the mechanics of fasting. Let's talk about several of those. Mechanics of fasting. Uh, For those who are long-time fasters, is that a word, Um, veteran fasters, uh, you probably have these mechanics down fairly well. If you're new to fasting, you may want to talk to somebody in this room who's done it for a while and has learned some lessons through fasting. They can pass on some valuable information. But different mechanics we need to think about. Number one is the duration, the length of our fast. Uh, Typically, biblically, God's fasts are 24 hours from sundown to sundown. Although we do see, as was mentioned earlier, people fasting for three days, seven days, 40 days, we already addressed that one. Um, But a a, uh, personal fast can be, 24 hours it can be more than 24 hours it can be less than 24 hours um, a personal fast we think about the timeline can be sunset to sunset or it can be you can adjust that time a little bit I'll tell you personally my fast typically are dinner time to dinner time um, sometimes During the year, dinner time is after sunset, when the sun goes down early. Sometimes it's before. And I'll tell you the reason why I do that. My fasts are typically a 24-hour fast. But for our family, mealtime is the time of day when we come together, we talk, we learn, we converse, we laugh, we share, we teach. And that mealtime together is important for our family. And so oftentimes I'll begin my fast after mealtime. Uh, the days I fast i, I don 't eat a whole lot during that meal, but after meal time and then I end it the next day twenty four hours later before dinner, so I eat dinner with my family the next night frequently that 's how I do personal fasts. Uh, that way, my family gets focus as well as God gets focus um, <clears throat> i 've known people as, as you get older, fasting may become more difficult. People have health issues that can make fasting difficult sometimes. Um, I know a lady in one of the congregations I served in, she was quite a bit older. She was in her late 70s at that point, early 80s. And she said, you know, when I fast, when my blood sugar drops halfway through the day, I can't think. I don't have the energy hardly to sit up. So Bible study and prayer are nothing I can do because I can't think. And she said, what I've learned for me as I fast, I start in the morning after breakfast. And I fast all that day, and I do my prayer, my Bible study, and I fast through the night. But the time when I'm no good, I'm sleeping. God gets the best part of me during a fast. Not that we should all fast that way, but we have to come to realize we can, in a personal fast, we can adjust our fast so that it works for us and it works for God in the best way. I was talking to a mentor, an older mentor of mine a couple days ago, and This person was just telling me, you know, I'm in a stage in life where 24-hour fasts are, I can't do them anymore. And I fast for 12 hours. We can adjust things and make them work. You still focus on the benefit of the fast. Now, those of us who are healthy, yeah, 12 hours is no problem. Uh, We're not going to afflict our souls, many of us, in 12 hours. Some of us won't afflict our souls in 24 hours. We may need to stretch it out a little bit more than that because we need to learn. Part of the lesson in fasting is it does it should weaken us. We should be able to draw the conclusion at the end of the fast. You know what, Father, as we pray and we end our fast with a prayer on our knees or close to our knees, maybe on our stomachs, either because we're trying to humble ourselves or just because we're that tired, But we should be able to say, you know, Father, I can barely go 24 hours without food. Help me incorporate into who I am that I must not go a day without you. Without studying your word. Without praying to you multiple times. If we're not weak at the end of a fast, at least somewhat weak, we're missing a point. Years ago. I had somebody come up to me and say, you know, fast. don't do anything for me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't feel tired after a fast. And I said, really? And I said, hmm, do you, do you make sure that you eat a big meal before you start fasting? And he said, always. And I said, ah, oh, you, you eat too much. You know, we can gorge ourselves before a fast and have enough food for two days if we're not careful. So we have to be careful how we start those fasts. Uh, if, if, if we tend to have slow metabolisms, we may want to start a fast on a lot less food, or start it in the afternoon or something if we do a sundown to sundown fast. <clears throat> but we can adjust personal fasts. For those who have medical problems, medical challenges that make fasting difficult, uh, there's several things you need to think about. Number one is ask your medical provider for some advice. Now, any doctor, nurse, whoever worth their salt um, who's trying to watch their backs so they don't get sued is going to say, I don't recommend fasting. But if you go to them and you tell them, I'm going to fast, I need your help to do it in a wise way. And you can give me some wisdom or you can send me on my way and maybe make a mistake and you haven't helped me. Uh, they'll help you out. They'll give you some, some wisdom. You know, Diabetics, for example, who are on insulin, um, can make it difficult to fast. But what is insulin for? Insulin is to reduce your blood sugar. What happens when you fast? Your blood sugar drops. So if you don't take your insulin, it's going to mediate your blood sugar a little bit. Now, I'm not saying don't take your insulin and fast. Talk to your doctor about it. But there are medical conditions that we can very easily work with. If we give it a little bit of thought. In some cases you do need to take medicine. So to to swallow a little bit of medicine with a sip of water isn't going to ruin a fast necessarily. It's okay. What's the purpose of fasting? To humble ourselves before God. And the key is God wants us to fast. He wants us to take time. If all we can manage is skipping a meal and making a six hour fast. If that's the best we can manage. That's good before God because we're making the effort to humble ourselves before him in most cases virtually everyone can fast for some amount of time some health conditions are are such an affliction that it is afflicting you just to live it sounds funny but it's true some of you are in that situation and so you've got to work that out talk with your minister about that as well But I encourage you, most of us can fast. Young people, you can fast before you're baptized. Uh, Teenagers, talk with your parents about it first. Work it out with them. Get their advice. Get their direction. But just because we don't have God's Holy Spirit in us doesn't mean we can't benefit spiritually from fasting. We can. We can begin to develop those habits. That fasting, I know when I fasted as as a teenager, I did humble myself before God. I learned spiritual lessons. It's probably good that I humbled myself some because I had plenty of lack of humility even after my fast. My, my parents probably could attest to that. Yeah, he was vain. He was arrogant. Uh, what would I have been like without fasting? But young people, you can benefit before you're baptized. I encourage you, get serious about some of these things. Think about it. Talk with your parents about it. Obviously, if our children are so young, they really don't understand the fasting process. Uh, if we make them fast, we're just going to starve them. And we've got to be careful with that. You know, if we've got a four- or five-year-old that says, Mommy and Daddy, I don't want to eat either. Okay, let them go for two hours. <clears throat> and then they're going to come begging for something. And we don't, have to, we don't have to hold them to it. You know, you said you were going to fast. You've got 23 more hours to go. <clears throat> We want our kids, don't we? Don't we want them to grow up to want to live God's way of life? And for them to get to the point where they really begin to understand fasting, it's probably going to be age 8, 9, 10, 11 before they really get it and want to. And even then, they may not be able to make it the whole time, and that's okay. We're teaching them in that process. But time, duration, these are important things to think about. Food before we fast. Eat a balanced meal, lots of fruits and vegetables, um, some, some good, healthy, uh, lean proteins. I remember we started a fast one time, only once, on hamburgers and french fries. Oh, I've, that's the, the only time I fasted that I've ever been really sick, like nauseous sick during a fast. That was awful. No, we want to have lots of healthy nutrients. One of the most problematic things with fasting is we get dehydrated. We get a headache. It makes it really hard. If we hydrate well, drink plenty of water for several days before we fast. We don't have the hydration problems. Um, People that are pregnant. um, If you're pregnant and you're fasting, it's probably not an issue. I remember one of our doctors, our first doctor that delivered Colin, my wife said, we've got a holy day coming up. we're planning on fasting, is there anything I need to be aware of? And he looked at her and he sort of chuckled and he said, that baby's going to get whatever it wants no matter what you do. You don't eat, you don't drink, it's still going to get what it wants because that's the way God designed it. Um, Fasting during nursing can be a different issue. Um, Some women's milk can dry up. So you need to make sure if you choose to do it, hydrate really well before you fast. Um, In some cases, you know, if, if you're... Nursing a baby and it's three months old and that breast milk is all it's eating, you don't want your milk to dry up. If it's 16 months old and milk is just a snack to wash down the cookies later on, if you dry up, it's probably not as big of a deal. But we need to be wise as we go into this as well. Ending a fast, uh, go easy on the food that you take in, typically Water and some fruit or vegetables, some crackers, nothing real heavy to start with because your stomach has got to get used to this food all over again. <clears throat> it's not, nothing wrong with going out for a meal after a fast, but you might want to go easy to start with for the first 20 or 30 minutes. What's interesting uh, when we think about fasting for spiritual reasons is there are actually health benefits of spiritual fasting. We talk about fasting about once every month or so for spiritual reasons. And we need to focus on those spiritual reasons. But you know what's interesting? God has built in blessings physically for doing that. In the last five years, there have been some really interesting medical studies that have come out, and they've shown that fasting without food and water once a month is actually good for the body. It helps reorient the metabolism. Um, It helps do a number of things for the brain. And it's actually a good thing. So we don't fast spiritually for physical reasons, but God blesses us physically when we fast for spiritual reasons. Let's wind this up. Brethren, I think you know, along with Bible study, meditation, and prayer, fasting is an essential tool for spiritual growth that we should exercise regularly. And it should be exercised regularly by virtually all Christians. Without the regular use of this tool, we can't be thoroughly equipped for our spiritual responsibilities. And it's very difficult, if not impossible, to be humble enough to be really used by God the way he wants to use us. Conversely, if we use this tool regularly, we give ourselves to God as a tremendous tool for his work and his will. Fasting is a tool to reconnect with God, when you feel distant from him, when you feel unsettled, when you feel worried. And God looks to the man or to the woman who is humble, who is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at his word. Fasting is a tool to get to that spiritual point. It's a tool to stay humble, to let our requests be known before God, but to place them there in total humility, as well as a tool to let God know how deeply we feel about something. I encourage you, brethren, get in the regular habit of fasting if you are not already. If you are, focus on perfecting your fast so that they're even more meaningful to you and more helpful to God. As we do this, brethren, we can be truly useful to God. We will grow more spiritually and we will be a more powerful tool and an instrument in God's hand.